Dramatic baritone, Verdi baritone, lyric baritone. What's the difference? Aren't they all baritones? I'm Stuart Holt, and on this episode of the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast, we'll explore the many facets of the baritone voice type. The Metropolitan Opera Guild is dedicated to enriching people's lives through an awareness and deeper appreciation of opera. Our podcast features lectures and events presented by the Guild in support of performances at the Metropolitan Opera. The Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast is funded in part by support from the Stuart J. Pierce Memorial Fund. To learn more, visit metguild.org. George Bernard Shaw once said, Opera is when a tenor and soprano want to make love, but are prevented from doing so by a baritone. While baritones are often relegated to the role of villains on the opera stage, there is far more variety within this voice type than one would initially imagine. On today's episode, Guild lecturer Naomi Baratera delves into the various types of baritones we find across the operatic repertoire, the roles they sing, and what makes each category of baritone unique. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next installment of our exploration of operatic voice types. Today, we are focusing on the wonderful world of baritones, a voice type that includes some of my personal favorite roles, arias, and singers. In our past episodes on sopranos, that was episode 5, mezzo-sopranos in episode 70, and tenors in episode 10, I talked a lot about the whole concept of an operatic voice type, as well as the history behind the German Fach system. We are not going to retrace all of that information here. If you really want to get a good sense of what we talked about in previous episodes, definitely give a listen to episodes 5, 70, and 10 to get a sense of that history. But I wanted to remind us of just a few key points to keep in mind in this episode as we begin delving into the baritone voice type. The Fach system was established by the Germans, and the word Fach roughly translates to compartment, and so the whole idea of organizing and categorizing singers and roles based on a large variety of criteria really comes from the Germans. And what they did was they looked at these large umbrella categories like soprano, mezzo-soprano, tenor, baritone, and bass, and then came up with a whole schema of different subcategories based on a variety of factors the range or tessitura required of a role, making sure that the highest note that's required of the character to sing and the lowest note that's required of the character matches the range of the singer being cast in that role, as well as the sweet spot of the singer, where do the majority of the notes lie in the voice and is that the best, most beautiful range of the singer cast in the role. Also, the idea of timbre or a specific coloring and characteristic of a voice, looking at what are the different timbral aspects that are really well suited to a particular role, and then making sure that a singer has those particular qualities in their voice. And then also the weight of the voice is considered when deciding what category a role or a singer might fall into. And this is connected with the size of the orchestra for a particular work, because you need enough power as a singer to get the sound out over the orchestra or slice through the orchestra. And you also need stamina in a voice. So we also consider how long the singer is going to be on stage and how much force and power they need to be singing for the time that they are on stage. So a role that has a singer on stage for almost three hours straight is going to be a different kind of voice and demands a different level of singing or a different kind of singing than a role that maybe only has the character on stage for 20 or 30 minutes broken up into small five-minute segments. So all of these things are taken into consideration, and then there's this whole schema of subcategories that give us all of these different, very specific types of voices within each umbrella category. The second important thing to keep in mind is that the terminology that comes up when you talk about operatic voice types and the Fach system can become easily muddled and confusing, and this is mainly because the system originated in German and was largely based around German operatic roles, 
And then as it became more and more popular, the whole concept of categorizing voices and roles, this system was expanded to encompass other operatic repertoires, including French, Italian, Russian, Czech, and English operas, and also repertories that span multiple centuries within each language. And so as the system was adapted and evolved and changed in order to bring in all of these other repertories of opera, the terms that were used were also translated into other languages, and sometimes we have more than one term that means the same thing, and sometimes scholars and critics argue about the subtle differences between certain terms and certain types of roles. So to keep things as clear as possible, as we explore the various subcategories together in this episode, I've made an effort to include the original German names for the categories that we touch on and also clarify any translations or derivations of those names that we commonly find in operatic parlance today. Thirdly, we must remember that voice types and Fach categorizations are a very subjective thing and they're also a fairly flexible thing. This is not an empirical, irrefutable science. The whole system was created as a set of guidelines to help us understand the range of roles and characters we find in opera and better understand what kinds of voices might best execute all of these different roles. And we must also remember that the human voice is a very organic instrument. It is part of our bodies and therefore it will grow and change as we grow and change. So singers often have a trajectory and a long-term plan to train the voice as it grows with them. And a singer will often move from one category to another throughout their career. So they might start in a lighter category. This is the typical trajectory, a lighter subcategory, and then move into heavier, more dramatic repertoire as they mature and as their voice grows and matures. And so what they are singing three decades into their career might look very different from the roles that they started out in when they were just a young artist or a young singer. And they can also belong or be placed in or sing roles from more than one Fach category at any given time in their career. And so this is something where a singer should never feel restricted by being labeled as a certain particular Fach, but rather use the Fach system as a guideline for what they might be able to explore and what they might be able to do to push the voice into new territory. And then lastly, related to this point, sometimes certain operatic roles can be placed in more than one Fach category. And sometimes it's because scholars and critics and casting directors and singers disagree on what the best category is for a role, or they believe that it can be successfully performed by more than one type of voice. So again, very subjective, not a perfect science, but a set of guidelines. So with all this in mind, we're going to start by taking a brief look at the history behind the concept of a baritone voice. Then we're going to move into an exploration of all the different types of baritone roles and singers and voice types that we find in the operatic repertoire covering as many categories as we can get to and using as many examples as we have time for so you can hear a wide variety of singers from the past and present. If you were to look back at historical documents in the time of Mozart, such as letters, autograph scores, casting records, etc., you would be hard-pressed to find the word baritone used in any documentation of operatic practice. Throughout the 1700s, composers and singers tended to divide all male voices that were not castrati into two categories, tenors and basses. In Mozart's time, singers that we would consider baritones today would likely have capitalized on their ability to sing low tenor or high bass in order to be cast in certain roles. However, what is really interesting about the terminology is that even though the term baritone was not commonly used as a distinct vocal category in operatic writing or in casting until the 1800s, the term itself did exist, and it was used by composers since at least the time of Monteverdi, if not earlier. And that places it in use pretty much since the beginning of the operatic art form as we know it today. 
There is a letter that Monteverdi wrote in 1627 describing the singing abilities of a priest who sang at the Milan Cathedral, specifically saying that he was, quote, a baritone, not a bass. There were also several historical documents from this time period that have survived in which writers describe tenors that are also able to sing bass, or basses whose voices reach up into the low tenor range. In a French musical dictionary published in 1703, the word baritone actually has its own entry, and it is described as a high bass, or a singer who could sing high or low as needed. In German musical treatises published in the early 1700s, there's one published in 1703 and one from 1732, the term baritone appears clearly defined as a voice that is capable of singing both tenor and bass range, and in one case, there's actually a little chart in the treatise with a scale outlining the exact pitches that tenors, baritones, and basses can typically sing. So we know that the term existed long before it was integrated into common operatic practice, and it was understood by composers and performers as a voice that occupied this middle ground range of pitches between tenors and basses. If you're interested in reading more details about baritones in the 17th and 18th century, there's an excellent dissertation by Joshua Markley from the University of Kansas that really delves into this, and I'll give more details at the end of the podcast so you can get a hold of it if you're interested. From the 1800s onward, identifying the baritone voice as its own category or type became common in operatic casting, although the use of the term evolved a little bit differently depending on what country or operatic tradition you found yourself in. In France, the term baritone Martin became popular, named for the French singer Nicolas Jean Blaise Martin, who lived from 1768 to 1837. Martin's voice was initially described as a deep-voiced dark tenor, and it became so popular with audiences that his name came to define a voice type in French repertoire. The term baritone Martin is still used today specifically to describe a light baritone voice that specializes in French repertoire and is distinct in the use of mixing head voice or falsetto singing into the higher register instead of pushing the chest voice all the way to the top. The range or tessitura of a baritone Martin overlaps with heavier tenors, and so sometimes dramatic tenor and held in tenor roles can also be categorized as baritone Martin roles, and baritone Martin roles can sometimes be sung by tenors very successfully. Many of the roles sung in French opera by Jean Blaise Martin, this famous baritone in the early 1800s, are actually no longer part of the standard repertory. The operas are not that popular anymore. However, there is one opera that really does define this particular type of role, and that is Debussy's Peleus et Melisande, and the role of Peleus is actually the baritone Martin role. We are going to listen to two examples of two Bechaton Martin singers so you can really hear the lighter quality of the voice and the mixture of head voice or falsetto in the sound. And I've chosen one singer who is a singer of the past and one singer who is a singer of the present. So to start with, we're going to listen to Stéphane Degout singing the role of Peleus and this is from a Met broadcast in 2011. This is the last time that Peleus and Melisande was at the Met. And he is singing opposite Magdalena Cogena, who is singing the role of Melisande. And as you listen to it, really pay attention to the higher part of Degu's range or tessitura, because you can really hear that lighter quality, the mixture of head voice and falsetto into the sound. And there really is a beautiful, lyrical, delicate quality to the whole feeling of the voice. Jusqu'au cœur, et puis nous ne t'en 
second example is actually not from opera, but it's a really interesting recording that I wanted to share because it features a legendary Bertrand Martin singer, Pierre Bernac, and he is singing a French song by Gabriel Fauré, and the person that is accompanying him on the piano is actually composer Francis Poulenc. And so it's an interesting little piece of history. And because it's voice and piano, not voice and orchestra, you can really focus in on the timbre of the voice because it's a little bit more exposed. And as we listen, just remember that even though this is an art song, it's not opera, Pierre Bernach was actually very well respected for his portrayals of Peleus in his time. So this is really a very true Bechaton Martin that is very strongly part of opera history. Nocturne jardin, tout rempli de silence. Voici que la lune ouverte se balance en des voiles d'or fluides et légères. conception of an operatic baritone begins evolving with the work of Jean Blaise Martin, and he's actively singing until about 1823, primarily French operetta at the Opéra Comique in Paris. In parallel to this development, Rossini and the bel canto composers slowly began integrating designated baritone roles into their operas. But in Italian opera, it really isn't until the 1840s that the baritone voice gets a spotlight thrown in its direction, and scholars often credit Giuseppe Verdi with really establishing the baritone voice as its own category and writing for the baritone in a way that set it apart as its own distinct thing. We know that Verdi loved the baritone voice, and he really gravitated towards the dramatic potential that he found in the in-between sound of the baritone. Verdi was all about dramatic realism in his composing, and with the baritone voice being statistically the most common voice type among the male population, regardless of whether we are talking about trained or untrained singing voices, Scholars believe that the baritone, at least for Verdi, represented the everyman. And in writing specifically for the baritone in a way that demanded power and thrust in the upper register of the voice, the chested baritone sound became immensely popular, so much so that we have named a whole category after it, the Verdi baritone. 
While Verdi is often given all the credit for creating this voice type, a really great article titled The Origin of the Verdi Baritone by John Clayton Seesholtz explores the role of voice teachers in training baritone voices at the time that Verdi was writing, and training them in a way that allowed Verdi to maximize their potential. We know that up until the time of Otello, which premiered in 1887, Verdi almost always composed a role with a very specific singer in mind, and those singers were often under the tutelage of famed voice teachers like Manuel Garcia. And then for his last two operas, Otello and Falstaff, we know from Verdi's letters to his publisher, Ricordi, that he composed the roles of Iago and Otello and the title role of Falstaff with no particular singer in mind, but with a very specific type of baritone sound that he felt was the best fit to bring those roles to life. So what separates or differentiates the Verdi baritone from the French baritone Martin? First off, an obvious answer is the repertoire itself. Bergeton Martin roles are generally French, and Verdi baritone roles denote primarily Italian roles in Verdi's operas. Secondly, and perhaps most importantly, the difference is really in the use of chest voice in the higher range of the Verdi baritone voice in order to create a much more forceful sound and a sense of squealo, that timbral quality that can slice through an orchestra. As Julian Budden described, the Verdi baritone has roughly the same range as the Bergeton Martin, but with a much fuller consistency of tone that is sufficient for forceful passages and especially declamation, which is the style that Verdi wrote so often for the baritone role. There are so many examples of baritones that have dominated the Verdi repertoire on the Met stage and gone on to win international acclaim for their interpretations, including names like Robert Merrill, Leonard Warren, Tito Gobi, Cornell McNeil, Cheryl Milnes, and more recently, Jelko Lucic and Dmitry Havorostovsky. We are going to listen to a couple of different examples that span Verdi's repertoire so that you can get a sense of the impassioned music that Verdi wrote for this voice type, as well as the scope of singers that have brought these roles to life, and really listen for the combination of powerful sound, that effective squealo, and the characterization that each singer brings to their particular role. So to start, we're going to listen to the baritone role of all Verdi baritone roles, the title role of Rigoletto, and we're going to start with Jelko Lucic singing at the Met in 2013. <laughs> For our next example, I really wanted to give you the opportunity to hear two different baritones back to back. And so for this example, we're going to listen to the role of Don Carlo in Verdi's Ernani. We're going to listen to the Act 3 aria Grandio. And here I've cut the aria in half, essentially, so that for the first half of the clip, you're going to hear Cheryl Milnes. And then for the second half of the clip, you're going to hear Leonard Warren. So the same aria, but two different singers. So you can hear in contrast two voices side by side. I feel the noise 
covered two very specific, more niche baritone Fach categories. But if we zoom out a little bit, as you might have already guessed, we find a very similar spectrum of terminology as we learned about with sopranos, mezzos, and tenors in the way that these different Fach categories are conceptualized. So I think of this all as falling on a spectrum from lighter, more lyrical voices on one end and categories on one end, to dramatic, heavier voices on the other end. So if we start at the lighter end of the spectrum, we have the lyric baritone, or in German, the lyrische baritone, or sometimes called the spielbaritone. And in Italian, you might hear the term baritone lyrico. This is a voice that is incredibly beautiful, very sweet, smooth, supple, warm and mellow in timbre, consistently sweet, smooth, supple, warm and mellow from top to bottom with no rough edges. There is a wide variety of characters in this particular category, from villains to lovers to seducers to comic sidekicks, so the lyric baritone needs to also be a very good actor capable of being very expressive both in their voice and their characterizations and acting. There are several bel canto roles in this category, including Figaro from Rossini's The Barber of Seville and Dandini from his La Cenerentola, Belcore from Donizetti's La Lazire d'Amore, and Dr. Malatesta from Donizetti's Don Pasquale. 
Examples of French lyric baritone roles include Albert from Massenet's Werther and Zurga from Bizet's Pearl Fishers. And for an English example, you can look at the title role of Benjamin Britten's Billy Budd. The list of world-renowned baritones that have had or continue to have great success in lyric baritone roles throughout the 20th and 21st century is quite extensive, including names like Gerald Finley, Thomas Hampson, Wolfgang Brendel, Dietrich Fischer-Diskau, Hermann Pry, and Simon Keenlyside. One of the most popular, charismatic comic sidekicks in this category is the role of Papageno, the birdcatcher from Mozart's Die Zauberflöte, or the Magic Flute. We are going to listen to Papageno's Act One aria, Der Vogelfänger bin ich ja, where he introduces himself to the audience. And this is a strophic aria, so there's multiple verses or stanzas that Papageno sings. And so for this listening excerpt, we're going to hear the whole aria, but a different singer for each strophe. So you're going to hear three very successful lyric baritones back to back to back. First, you will hear Simon Keenlyside, second, Wolfgang Brendel, and third, Dietrich Fischer Dieskau. Weiß mit dem Locken umzugehen und mich aus Pfeifen zu verstehen. Drum kann ich froh und lustig sein, denn alle Vögel sind ja mein. For the sake of contrast, we're going to listen to a French example, the role of Zurga from Pearl Fishers, and this is a much more serious character than Papageno, but both Papageno and Zurga fall in this lyric baritone category. Zurga is the mayor or leader of his town, and he is faced with several difficult decisions throughout the opera. The singer I've chosen is Mariusz Kvechin, who had a great success in this role when the Pearl Fishers was at the Met in the 2015-16 season, and in this moment in the duet he's singing with tenor Matthew Polanzani, so really listen for the lower voice in the duet because that will be Kvechin, and they are singing the roles of Nadir and Zurga, essentially swearing their eternal friendship to one another.
Moving down the spectrum one notch to our next category, we have the Cavalier Baritone, which comes from the German term Cavalier Baritone, or in Italian it is sometimes referred to as the Baritono Cantabile. And these are the baritones that make all the ladies swoon, both in the audience and in the operatic story. The roles listed in this category are generally leading characters, such as the title role in Mozart's Don Giovanni, or the count in Mozart's La Nozze di Figaro, or they can be very important characters in some kind of romantic love triangle, such as Escamillo in Carmen. Voices in this category occupy a middle ground between lyric baritones and Verdi baritones, as the timbre of this kind of voice needs to have both a metallic edge to execute dramatic passages, as well as a smooth, lyrical quality to the sound. They also need to have a very easy time moving through the top range of the tessitura in the pitches that overlap with the tenor range, but keeping the darker, unmistakable baritone color in the sound. Writers and critics often describe the cavalier baritone voice as having a burnished quality, a little bit of a harsher edge when compared to a lyric baritone, but not quite as forceful as a Verdi baritone or dramatic baritone. Physical appearance and stage presence is also pretty important in this category, as cavalier baritones are either heartthrobs or very noble characters with a sense of authority or a combination of all of the above so a striking appearance never hurts. One of the greatest cavalier baritone roles in all of opera is the title role of Tchaikovsky's Eugene Onyegin. Everything about this character embodies the persona of this category, and the singer cast in this role really needs to be able to do everything. Onyegin has to be incredibly good-looking, someone we believe Tatiana can fall in love with at first sight, and they need to be able to convincingly pull off a wide variety of expressions and emotions in the voice and in their acting, because the character of Onyegin is at some points very standoffish, cool and detached, sometimes he's very flirtatious, he has a pretty strong arrogant streak, at other times he's very cynical, and then towards the end of the opera, he is boyishly love-struck and desperate for Tatiana's affection, which he foolishly rejected years earlier. For our musical example from this category, we are once again going to listen to three different singers throughout the span of a single aria. This is the aria that Onyegin sings once he has received Tatiana's letter where she admits her love for him, and he essentially has come to tell her that she is young and naive, and that he has no real desire to pursue her or pursue any kind of marriage with her. The singers we are going to listen to are three of the greatest Onyegans on stage today, Mariusz Kvichin, Dmitry Havorostovsky, and Peter Matei. Each have sung this role at the Met within the last decade and have loyal followings hailing them as the best Onyegan. In chatting about this great debate with colleagues here at the Guild, one of my co-workers came up with what I think is one of the best descriptions of Matei's voice that I've ever heard, saying, quote, If melting butter could sing opera, it would sound like Peter Matei. And I have to say, I have no argument there. In the following order, we will hear Mariusz Kvechin's heavier metallic baritone giving a more arrogant rejection of Tatiana's affections, then Peter Matei, who seems to seduce Tatiana as he turns her down, and will end with Dmitry Havorostovsky, whose rounder sound gives a colder, more commanding rejection. <laughs> Na 
next category retraces some of the territory that we've already covered, and that is the character baritone. The term is another name for the same category as the Verdi baritone, but the term character baritone is understood to broaden the umbrella a little bit to include roles that are not composed by Verdi, but call for the same qualities as the Verdi baritone voice. So we know that this voice needs to be powerful, it needs to have squealo in the sound that can slice through a large orchestra, and it often brings a chested quality up into the top end of the register. It's a particular way of producing the sound that has a very strong and powerful projection. In addition to all the Verdi baritone roles that we've already touched on, this category also includes roles such as Scarpia from Puccini's Tosca, Beckmesser from Wagner's Die Meistersinger, and the title role of Berg's Wozzeck. For our example of a non-Verdi character baritone role, we are turning to Wagner's Das Rheingold and the role of Alberich. We're going to hear the late, great Hermann Brecht, an incredibly well-respected bass baritone, and we will circle back to this term in a few moments, who sang the role of Alberich under the baton of several great conductors, including Pierre Boulez. Yeah. 
us into the last baritone category that we are going to look at today, the heaviest and most dramatic, and that is the dramatic baritone, or known in German as the Helden baritone. The dramatic baritone voice needs to have a lot of weight, it has to be big and dark and commanding, able to project through a very thick orchestration, but also have a strong lower register. Several roles in this category are often cross-listed in the character or Verdi baritone category, such as Scarpia from Puccini's Tosca or the title role of Verdi's Macbeth. This is also where many Wagnerian baritone roles can be found, such as Emfortas in Parsifal, Wotan in the Ring Cycle, and the title role of Hollander in Der Fliegende Hollander, the Dutchman. Because many of the roles in this category don't push the voice too high pitch-wise, but call for a strong bottom, there is also many bass baritone singers that make their mark in roles from this category. The bass baritone category is essentially describing a singer that literally straddles both baritone and bass tessitura. We're going to delve deeply into the bass baritone voice in our next installment of Voice Types when we talk all about basses, but it is important to be aware of this particular hybrid voice as they often sing the roles found in the dramatic or held in baritone territory. We are going to listen to three different examples to give you a sense of the scope in this category and also covering one Italian example, one German, and one French. So first we are going to listen to the role of Scarpia from Puccini's Tosca, this is the Tadeum section of the opera or excerpt, and we are going to listen to Thomas Hampson, who I think is one of the most well-respected operatic baritone villains that we have seen in this generation. So here is Thomas Hampson singing Scarpia.
For our German example, we're going to look again at Wagner, and this is the role of M. Fortas in Parsifal, and our singer is Peter Mattei, and this is recorded at the Met in 2013. And so I think it's interesting to just remember as you listen that Peter Mattei has really spanned an incredible variety of baritone roles in his career. We already heard him singing on Jägen, the Cavalier baritone. He is also very well respected for his interpretation of Don Giovanni. He has also sung a really solid count in La Nozze di Figaro. And so here he is now moving into Wagnerian territory. So it's quite a spectrum, but he still brings that incredibly buttery smooth sound to everything he sings, but is able to push the voice into different directions. So this is M. Fortas from Parsifal. example, we're going to look at a fun, very flashy excerpt. But before we do that, I wanted to give you a few leads on where you can learn more about baritones if you've enjoyed our content here today and you want to keep exploring and reading more about all of these fantastic voices and roles. If you want to keep listening to more baritones, I highly recommend checking out Met Opera On Demand. This is on the Met's website. It's basically a huge archive of radio broadcasts and HD broadcasts and some DVD recordings. And you can sign up for an account. There's a charge per month. It's kind of like the Netflix of opera. And there you can watch and listen to a huge amount of singers and operas on demand as much as you like to your heart's content. So if there's any particular singer that you really enjoyed from today's episode or a singer that we maybe didn't listen to but I mentioned and you want to learn more about them, you just want to hear what they sound like, you can look them up in Met On Demand and find many different excerpts that you can listen to that they've done on the Met stage. And if you're looking for reading material, here are some resources that I go back to again and again in my own research. So first, there's a really fantastic journal article in the Cambridge Opera Journal in volume 19, number one, which was published in March 2007. It's by Karen Henson, and it's titled Victor Morel and the Fin de Siècle Operatic Performance. And in this article, she delves into the career of Victor Morel and his work with Verdi, because Victor Morel was really the first ever Verdi baritone. He was the first baritone to sing Iago, the first baritone to sing Falstaff, and he worked very closely with Verdi. So there's a lot of research that she has done about that particular collaboration and how the two influenced each other. There is also a book called The Verdi Baritone Studies in the Development of Dramatic Character by Jeffrey Edwards and Ryan Edwards. That is really good. There is the article I mentioned earlier, The Origin of the Verdi Baritone by John Clayton Seesholtz, and this is published in a 2012 edition of the Journal of Singing. Joshua Markley's dissertation from the University of Kansas is titled The Baritone Voice in the 17th and 18th Centuries, A Brief Examination of Its Development and Its Use in Handel's Messiah. And then there's a book by Richard Miller called Securing Baritone, Bass Baritone, and Bass Voices, which is a really interesting read. And if you just want more information or more reading about the Fox system in general, the two books that are really the go-to sources are Rudolf Kleuber's Handbuch der Oper. This is mostly found in German, the original language that it's published in, but you may be able to find an English translation if you hunt around. And then there's also the Opera Singer's Career Guide, 
Understanding the European Fox System by Pearl Yaden McGuinness. And this is a really fantastic book, really geared towards singers that are interested in working in Europe and want to understand how the Fox system connects with contracts in European opera houses, but also really a, a fantastic and accessible read if you're just curious about what roles tend to fall into what categories and why they're placed there. So, without any further delay, we are going to listen to our last dramatic baritone. This is Escamillo's Torreador aria from Bizet's Carmen. Very flashy, very macho aria or moment in the opera. And this is a role that is often sung by bass baritones, which is what we are going to begin with in our next episode on voice types when we focus solely on basses. So to leave you with a taste of what is to come, this is Jose Van Damme singing Escamillo's Torreador moment from Bizet's Carmen. That was Guild lecturer Naomi Baratera discussing the baritone voice type. Be sure to follow both the Metropolitan Opera and the Metropolitan Opera Guild on your favorite social media platforms, as we are always posting new and exciting content. I'm Stuart Holt. Thank you for listening.